podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 29th of December. Hope you're all well. Hope you've all had a lovely Christmas. And we're back. And we're better than ever. And I'm going to do today... I'm going to do something tomorrow as well, I think. Um, I might actually start looking at January and what what I think clubs need to do. Um, So, yeah. We'll do something tomorrow. And then, obviously... Next week, it will be Tuesday through Friday, and then we'll be back to normal. Um, Let's jump in. Last night in the Premier League, we had two games. Brighton 4, Tottenham 2. Brighton were outstanding. Tottenham were a defensive mess, which is not a big surprise, considering Emerson Royale and Ben Davies were the starting centre-backs. It does just go to show how little... 
and Pasta Coglu believes in Eric Dyer, that with Romero and obviously Van de Ven still out, he went with Emerson rather than playing Eric Dyer. Now, after seeing Eric Dyer's performance in the previous game against Everton, it's not really a surprise, but still. Um, Brighton were 4-0 up before Spurs really woke up in this game. Jack Hinchelwood opened the scoring. Really nice finish after good work from Pascal Gross. João Pedro scored a penalty on 23. Purvis Estupinen made his case for goal of the season on 63. Great to see him back playing as well. I thought prior to his injury, he'd probably been the best left back in the league in this calendar year of 2023. He scored an absolute screamer last night and Brighton need him back as well. They've they've gotten more and more bad news with injuries over the last few weeks. And most recently, Adingra and Matoma both been ruled out for four to six weeks. And the positive for those injuries for Brighton is that if they come back any earlier, it will likely help Brighton more than it would have if they hadn't gotten injured because they would have been due to go to AFCON and the Asian Cup. But now with these injuries, they won't go. So if they do come back a little bit ahead of schedule, they should be able to go straight back into the Brighton team. Um, Pedro scored his second penalty of the game on 75. He is as good as it gets from 12 yards out. He is unbelievably confident, calm, and accurate. He's such a good player as well in general play. Thought he was really good and caused Spurs a lot of trouble. Um, Alejo Velez opened his Premier League account on 81 minutes to get Spurs a little bit of consolation. And then four minutes later, Ben Davies scored. And it felt like maybe, just maybe, Spurs might cause Brighton a couple of problems late on. They did go on to hit the post. And it looked like Brighton were starting to rock. That defence of theirs is, is really, really shaky. I mean, Lewis Dunk's having a dreadful season. I don't like Igor at left back. I don't think that signing has really worked so far. And I'm not a big fan of Van Hecke. I just think he's quite soft. I think he's positionally quite scatty. And I don't think he's a good enough defender for a club that has ambitions of being in Europe year on year. Um. But it's a good win for Brighton, a really good win against a team that are a top four contender. And Brighton needed the win because obviously they've been very up and down over the last couple of months. For Spurs, it's hugely disappointing after the win over Everton. They had hoped that they were going to get their form, you know, carrying on. That was the Everton win was three in a row. They'd beaten Newcastle, they'd beaten Forest. Then they beat Everton. They were quite fortunate to hang on in that one. But they were hoping that they'd turn things around after the the poor run they'd had when all their players got injured and suspended. Um, But it wasn't to be. Now, look, they do sit fifth in the league. They're in a good position for the second half of the season. They'll get Madison back soon. They'll get Van de Ven back soon. They'll get Romero back soon. They need to go in January and they need to strengthen. They could do with bringing in another quality centre-back. They've been linked with a couple, so you'd expect them to get business done there. They could probably use one more body in midfield as well because 
they've got Basuma and Saren together. They're brilliant individually. They're great. But when either of them are missing, they don't have that similar style of midfielder, that aggressive, energetic type with quality on the ball. Ollie Skip is aggressive and energetic, but he's not he's not good enough on the ball. Hoiberg is he's got the ability on the ball, he's just not quick enough. And teams can play through Spurs really quickly and really easily because Hoiberg doesn't move well enough. So if they could ship him out and bring in somebody else, I'd I'll honestly suggest maybe calling Wolves and seeing if they'd part with Bubakar Traore, former teammate of Sar at Mets. I think he'd fit in really, really well. And he could play with Sar, with Basuma, could play the three of them to shut out games if you wanted. I think if they got him and they got, let's say, I mean, Tadebo's the one they've been linked with. They've also been linked with Dragazin of Genoa. If they got either of them, I really do think that would solve a lot of their issues. I still think they need a nine. I still think they need to go and look for a striker. And I still think Ivan Tony is the perfect one. I just don't know if they'd have the money to do it. They should have signed Victor Yacarez. I said in the summer that I thought Brentford should have signed Yacarez as a Tony successor. Turns out Spurs should have actually just signed him and cut out the middleman. Because he's really, really good and he's proving it with sporting. And he's got a lot of the same traits as Harry Kane. Doesn't have doesn't have quite the range of passing as Kane, obviously, because Kane is is a is a great creator, but he does create a lot of chances for others. He is a good passer, he's hold a play and link player outstanding, and he's a really good finisher. Yeah, they should have signed him. Now he's probably going to be out of range as well. But the striker, I think they'll have to hold off until January. Midfield and defence, I'd be looking to sort them in this January transfer window. In our other game last night, West Ham went to the Emirates, huge underdogs. But off the back of a 2-0 win over Manchester United, beat Arsenal 2-0. David Moyes hadn't won in 73 league matches away to Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea. No wins in 73 attempts. But it turns out 74 was the magic number for Moisey. And for West Ham, who got absolutely walloped by Liverpool in the EFL Cup, and I know they had some rotation, but Liverpool had heavily rotated. West Ham, in that game against Liverpool, only played Paqueta for the last 30 and had heavily rotated defence with the both centre-backs swapped out. Well, yesterday they had both centre-backs swapped out again with Mavroponos and Ogbonna playing like they did at Anfield. Paqueta only played the first 30 minutes before he had to go off injured. And yet they went to the Emirates and they won. Now, they needed huge performances from Mavroponos, from Ogbonna and from Ariola. They needed Arsenal to do what Arsenal do and miss some chances. But overall, you'd have to say they absolutely deserved the result that they got. They opened the scoring on 13 minutes. Thomas Suchek, a little bit of controversy. Did the ball go out of play? Did it stay in play? 
Jared Bowen cuts it back. The defending before that was so abysmal that Arsenal don't deserve any excuses made for them. That was a situation entirely of their own making. And the thing to note about it is not one Arsenal player appealed. Not one Arsenal player appealed that the ball was out of play either as Bone was keeping it in, quote-unquote, or after Suchek scored. They all just accepted the goal. And that's quite telling. Mavroponos made it two on 55 with a great header off a James Ward-Price corner. And Arsenal, 30 shots, eight on target. See, 22 shots off target in a game? That's not good. Eight on target, and Ariola probably made three good saves. Four, maybe. But like, it's not like he was having to pull off world-class save after world-class save. His, cro- his, his dealing with crosses and such was really good. He commanded his area well. He organized the defense well. That's why I say he played very well, but he made the saves he had to make. One, one in particular was outstanding, but he did make probably three or four very good ones. But still, when you have 30 shots and only eight are on target, that's really, really poor. And Arsenal's attack this season has been really poor. There's a reason they're scoring half their league goals from set pieces. They just don't look right in open play. And you look at their Premier League goal scorers. Bakaya Saka has five. Odegaard has four. Jesus has three. Enketia, who doesn't start, has five. Trossard has three. Havertz has four. Martinelli has two. So between Saka, Jesus, and Martinelli, they've got 10 goals. Declan Rice has three, and then there's a few players with one. They're just not scoring near enough goals. 36 goals in 19 games just isn't it isn't good enough to win this Premier League title. And they have fallen off considerably from where they were 12 months ago. After 19 games of last season, they had 50 points. This season, they have 40. The league hasn't gotten better. If anything, it's gotten worse. But Arsenal have fallen 10 points off where they were this time last year. Now, they're still second in the league, two points behind Liverpool. They can go ahead of Liverpool with a win over Fulham this weekend. But Liverpool then would go back ahead of them if they beat Newcastle on Monday. But we haven't heard any mention of Arsenal and a fall-off. All we've heard is how transformational Declan Rice has been. But yet they've got 10 points less, they've scored a lot less goals, and they've conceded more goals. We have heard about Manchester City's fall-off. But yet if City win their game in hand, which is against Brentford, which you'd expect them to win they go ahead of Arsenal because they've got a superior goal difference. And City haven't even warmed up this season. KDB hasn't kicked a ball. 
Haaland has been out the last while with this foot injury, which the rumour is it's a fracture in his foot. When he'll be back, we don't know. But Alvarez is playing quite well. Foden has really found form. Scored an absolute scorcher against Everton. Rodri's starting to play himself back into peak Rodri form. They did have a mistake in the Everton game, obviously. They're getting a bit more out of Nunes now. They'll get more out of him and Kovacic as the season goes along. You'd like more out of Jack Grealish, but we were saying this 12 months ago, and Jack Grealish then found some good form from February till the end of the season, as a lot of City players did. Now, they did get a pretty big-looking injury to John Stones against Everton, but that might just open the door for Pep to go diaz Guardiol as a centre-back pairing. Nathan Aki at left back, Walker obviously at right back, or Rico Lewis in time. And then, I don't know, play Kovacic and Rodri as a two, Nunes and Rodri as a two. Then KDB comes back, he's the 10, Foden's right wing. You've got Doku and Grealish left wing. You've got Alvarez who can play a bunch of different roles, but I think his best role for them will be coming off the bench in the run-in. And then obviously Haaland up front. And that's a very formidable looking team. That's a team that could well win a fourth straight league title. I would still make them favourites to win the league. That hasn't changed for me all season. Even with how disinterested they've looked at times and how poor they've looked at times, to me, until someone takes the title from them, they're going to be the favourites. And if they've played this poorly and are only three points behind Arsenal, who've been crowned and anointed by many, with a game in hand and a better goal difference, then I think you've got to make them favourites. I think, as I said all season, I think it's a battle for second between Liverpool and Arsenal. And Aston Villa have obviously launched themselves into that mix. Now, two very poor results for Villa in the last two games without Bubakar Kamara because their team doesn't make as much sense without Kamara. John McGinn can't play in central midfield and Leander Dundonker unfortunately just isn't actually good enough to play for a Villa team that wants to compete at this end of the league. Douglas Louise doesn't work as a six so they've just got to get Kamara back and he'll miss the weekend's game but then he will be back and that's when they'll start to I think make more sense again. They could do with getting a lot more out of Jacob Ramsey, who I know he's had injuries, but he just looks miles off where he was last season and the season before. Um, they could do with getting Musa Diaby back in form after a great start to the season. He has fallen off quite drastically. And they absolutely need to get Pau Torres back in that team because Clement Langley is he's just not good enough to play at, at that level in the Premier League. When you want to be a top four team, He's just not going to be good enough. And Villa have real ambition to finish in the top four, and rightly so. I mean, look at what they're doing. You know, they're only a point behind Arsenal, and that's after, you know, going 2-0 up at United and throwing it away, and obviously the poor result against Sheffield United. Had Villa done what they should have done, they'd be sitting top of the league. They'd be two points clear of Liverpool. They should have beaten United and they should have beaten Sheffield United. 
and they'd be two points clear if they had. And what an achievement that would have been. And then you've got Spurs who are on the bubble. But it to me, it right now we've got five teams that could all finish in the top four. But I think there are only I think there's only two that can win this league. I think it's City and I think it's Liverpool. I don't think Arsenal can win this league. I don't think they're good enough going forward. I don't think they're good enough at controlling the midfield. I know people talk about their field tilt all the time. It's absolute nonsense stat. Doesn't mean anything. Their field tilt is unbelievable. Is it really? Then why do they rely so heavily on set pieces? Why hasn't he scored like 19 goals from open play in the league in 19 games? If they're so dominant in terms of territory, why are they struggling so badly to score goals? I don't think they can win the league. I don't think they've got the manager to win the league. I really don't. I think he's too emotional. I think he gets too wrapped up in things. I think he finds grievances where there aren't any. And I think that spreads into his team. I also think if you go at their defence, they can be exposed. I think they're soft. I think they're passive. I think if you let them play, they all look good. White's good in the ball. Saliba's very good in the balls. And Chenko's very good in the ball. But defensively, I would ask big questions about all three. I mean, look at that first West Ham goal last night. What is William Saliba doing? That's one of the worst attempts to block a cross you'll ever see. He does a little ballerina jump and makes himself small. And then the supposed best defensive midfielder in the world, who's not actually a defensive midfielder, makes absolutely no effort. And then the goalkeepers all over the place, David Rea is just not a Premier League caliber, a Premier League winning caliber goalkeeper. And so again, you've got issues at both ends. And you're not exactly bulletproof in the middle of the park as well. If you get Thomas Partey back, that's obviously a big help, but he's just cut AFCON. And who knows if he comes back fit. But an Odegaard Partey Rice midfield makes a lot of sense to me. Everybody fits well, there's balance. Everybody has a specific job and everybody's capable of doing that job. Odegaard is the one supporting the attack. Parte is the defensive one. He's also the one involved in your first phase build-up play. And Rice fills in all the blanks. That, to me, is a very balanced midfield. I think that's a very strong midfield. But even with that, I think you've got a massive question mark in goal and you've got a massive question mark up front. So I don't think they can win the league. I don't think they're good enough at either end. Whereas I look at Liverpool... You've got the best goalkeeper in the world and you've got Mo Salah. You look at City, they've got Haaland up front, they've got Ederson, who's overrated, but he's still very good. And then they've got geniuses like KDB who can just win them a game. I don't know that Arsenal have the facilities to do it. I know that City have, and I think that Liverpool have. I still think City will win the league, but... I think Liverpool can push them. I really do. I'm going to take a break. And then after the break, we will be back with Guy Drinkle and we'll go through this weekend's Premier League games. So I'll see you in a sec. 
Right, welcome back. So, I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? Bloody freezing. It is a, it is a cold one today, isn't it? Could do with a... Could do with an extra pair of socks or something, I'd say. Um, we have 10 Premier League games taking place over the next four days, uh, which is interesting. We have no Super Sunday game on Sunday, though. There's no 4 p.m. kickoff, which is unusual. But we do get football early tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. So that's nice. Yeah, just, uh, well, there's some you want to watch. Some of it, not really. <laughs> but yeah, we'll there's, come there's some that are not going to take us long to talk about. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, but we do start on Saturday at lunchtime, as you mentioned, and we get good use of our season ticket at Kenilworth Road against the Big Six, do <laughs> Every single week, <laughs> with, without fail, that they're playing a top team, Luton are on the TV. Uh, going into this game, Luton have a couple of injuries. Issa Kibore, Marvellous Nakamba, Reese Burke, Dan Potts, Jordan Clark, and Tom Lockyer. Now, Lockyer, obviously, we don't know when or if he'll ever come back. Jordan Clark is sick. They, they're hopeful he'll make a recovery. Uh, Chelsea, on the other hand, no Fafana, no James, no Kukurea, no Sanchez, no Chilwell, no Palmer, no Sterling, no Enzo, no Chalaba, and no Carney Chukwemeka. So, you know, that's that's quite the list of players there. Um, Luton have been improved of late, I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. They obviously picked up two big wins. In the last two games, the win over Newcastle and then going to Sheffield United and managing to come home with three points. So what they've been able to do is get a little bit of separation from Sheffield United and Burnley below them and close the gap on Everton, Forest, Palace and Brentford above them. And they have a game in hand on Everton, Forest and Palace. And should they win that game in hand, they'd actually go to 16th. Now, it is a way to... Bournemouth, and I think it's been scheduled for like really late in the season. Um, so we'll see. Chelsea, on the other hand, they're just not impressive at all. Now, their away form is middling to poor. Uh, two wins and four defeats in their last six away games. They have won two of their last three in the Premier League, though, with wins over Sheffield United and Crystal Palace, but of course did lose to Wolves and Everton as well within the last kind of four or five games. Luton's style, how aggressive they are, how direct they are, how powerful they are, I feel like that can cause Chelsea some trouble. But with Nkunku in the team now, Chelsea do look a bit more cohesive in attack. So I think I'm going to go for Chelsea to win. I'll go 2-1, though. I think Luton will give them a couple of scares, and I really wouldn't be surprised if Luton took points in this game. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that as well. I think it's a massive carrot to get not just out the relegation zone, but to go above two teams who, obviously, Everton situation, we go on every week. Um, And Forest, obviously, decent start under Nuno, but who knows if that'll last. Chris Wood can't score a hat-trick every week, so it's a massive carrot for them to... to, uh, to win 
this weekend. But yeah, I think Chelsea, if they are to turn it around, I don't know what the hell turning it around looks like for Chelsea, but there's no excuses anymore. I know they've still got a million injuries, but Nkunku, their marquee signing is back. Mm. Yeah, and like, look, we're we're 18 months into the Todd Bowley experiment and they're 10th in the league and they're not 10th by accident. They're 10th because they deserve to be there. And they're four points behind ninth place Newcastle, but only four points above 13th place Fulham. Wolves and Bournemouth have the same number of points as them and are both in considerably better form. So it wouldn't be at all surprising to see them drop to 12th. And, I mean, the the Bowley experiment thus far can only be deemed a massive failure given the money spent, given the managers they've been through. And you look at it, and last season, after 10 games, they were fourth in the league. By game 17, they were 10th. And the highest they went that season, last season, from then on, was ninth. Mm. Then you look at this season, and they were first <laughs> after the uh, sorry, the, sorry, they weren't first. They they haven't been any higher than tenth this season. Tenth is the highest they've been at any point this season. They've been as low as fifteenth. They've only been in the top half. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eleven of the 19 match weeks so far. And they've never been higher than 10th. And again, there's a four-point gap from them to Newcastle. Now, they can close it this weekend, but they can't go any higher this weekend. So regardless, they're ending this weekend in 10th at best. And like I said, could easily end up in 12th, if they say they drew and both Wolves and Bournemouth won, they could end up in 12th. Like that's, it's just, it's so much money spent. And at some point, you know, you need to start putting results together on the pitch, not just one-off performances of results, but a string of results that lifts you up the table where you win five of six games. Like, you look at it since the start of the Bowley era. They had a four-game winning streak last season around the time they sacked Tuchel and brought in Potter. Tuchel was in charge of the first game, Potter the next three. After that, they only won two in a row once before the end of the season. And then this season in the Premier League, they've only won two in a row once they beat Fulham and Burnley. Like this isn't good enough. Regardless of injuries, this isn't good enough. Look at that squad. Look at who they've bought. Look at the talent. Yes, there's issues. Yes, it's not perfect, but you can't cobble together better than 10th, better than two wins in a row. It's really, really unacceptable how poor they've been. And, you know, people talk about the injuries and then you look at certain players that have played an awful lot through this run. 
And maybe they're the issue more so than the injuries, because the injuries shouldn't have you in the position you're in. Not when you've got the talent they have. I think Pochettino is going to find himself under some real, real pressure if he doesn't get this turned around quite soon. You look at their fixtures coming up, Luton away, then Fulham home. They should win that. Then Liverpool away. So that's really tough. Then they get Wolves at home. Then Palace away. Then City away. Then Spurs at home. Then you go to Brentford. Then you get Newcastle. Then you go to Arsenal. And that takes us through to the middle of March. Like, how many wins are there, realistically? One, two, three, maybe four? Maybe four wins? Mm. So you're looking at being 29 games into the season and potentially having somewhere between 37 and 40 points. Well, congrats, you're not going to get relegated. It keeps them up, yeah. (laughs) You know, know, but you're not going to be in Europe. And their stated aim this season was Champions League. Well, at the moment, you're 12 points behind Man City and they have a game in hand. And if you were to go 12 points the other way, you're sitting 18th in the league. So they're as close to, they're actually closer to the relegation zone they're only 10 points clear of Luton than they are to the top four. And we're halfway into the season. And we're a season and a half into this bowly thing. And both sides in either direction have a game in hand as well. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like Luton, that's it. Luton have a game in hand and City have a game in hand. And like Bournemouth are level on points with them. Bournemouth also have a game in hand. So, like, they're they're kind of, like, if Bournemouth were to draw that game with Luton, which the game was a draw when it got abandoned, but if Bournemouth even drew that game, they'd be above them, and they'd be 11th. And it's, like, I know it's only one spot, but it is a psychological thing of now you're in the bottom half. Now you're in the muck. Like, it, even, even go through the signings and try and find me the success Jackson, no. And Kunku hasn't played enough. Marrera, no. Gabriel, he's a kid. He's out on loan. Ogachukwu has barely played. DeSassi has been fairly poor. Sanchez has been poor. Caicedo's been well below what was expected. Lavia hasn't played. I think he's played. What did he play at the weekend? That was it. He got re-injured as well. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, Petrovic looks, looks a decent keeper. But that's, yeah. you know... That's it. So they already had Slanina, which makes it a weird sign. It, exactly. And then, I mean, Cole Palmer's been okay in certain games, but he hasn't been great. Propped so, up a bit by penalties, I think. Very much so. So you're looking at this season's signings, no successes. Well, last season, Sterling, mixed bag. Koulibaly, they binned him after a year. Slanina, too early to say, hasn't played for them yet. Chukwemek has been injured a bunch. Kukure has been a disaster. Uh, Kaiseida, he's out on loan in the championship. He looks a player, looks a player, but mm. he's not playing much for Leicester. He's not he? playing much for Leicester. That's mm. the thing. Um, Fafana, I mean, he's been a disaster so far because of the injuries. Yeah. Obamiang, disaster. Badi Ashile has been poor. Datro Fafana is out on loan. Santos is out on loan. Mudrik has been a disaster. Mudeki has been injured. He hasn't really been in the team. Malo Gusto hasn't been in the team. Enzo Fernandez well below the the expected level. Like who who are we looking at here as a successful signing of the Todd Bowley era? 
that there's a few that you'd look at and say, I would back them over the next two to three years to be really good. But in two to three years, they might not be at Chelsea because Chelsea might have to sell them because their finances are a mess. Mm. They've done all this spending on the gamble of being in the Champions League and getting that Champions League money. But they're not going to be in the Champions League next season. That is a fact. You're not going to be in it next season. And there's no guarantee that you'll be in it the season after either because Liverpool aren't going anywhere. City aren't going anywhere. Arsenal aren't going anywhere. Spurs and Villa, you'd back to continue to get better and they're already considerably better than Chelsea. United will probably turn things around. They can't get worse. They can't get worse. And they're still well above. Like United have been a disaster. They're still well above Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Newcastle have been poor, lost eight games this season, still above Chelsea. You'd back them to turn it around. And those two clubs, along with City, can match Chelsea for spending. So Chelsea can't just go and buy their way into the top four. That's what they've tried to do. It's failed. And if if they don't get top four this year, they'll start to panic. And if they don't get it next year, I think we start to see a massive fire sale a massive fire sale. And it wouldn't be a surprise if at some point next season they get a big points deduction for failing to comply with the profit and sustainability rules. Yeah. So I think, you know, we look at Bruno, we look at Caicedo, Lavia, players like that, you say, and Mal Augusto and those, and you say, okay, in time, they'll be good signings. But they might not be, because they might not be there. Chelsea might have to sell them and take a big hit on them. Mm. Considering what Chelsea was built on, with I know it's the Roman Abramovich here, it's completely different, but the instant successes mm. that didn't matter who the manager was, didn't yeah. matter if a player failed or succeeded, you you performed or you were replaced. But it's that whole right. Paul, Paul Tompkins thing where mm. 50% of your signings will work. That was the kind of the rule of thumb up until the last 10 years, say, when teams have put a lot more money into recruitment. When Chelsea were winning, it didn't matter if one signing failed because the other one would hit. Yeah. But like you said, they were buying ready-made players. They were buying guys that were able to walk in and immediately be really good contributing players to them. Whether it was, you know, an Ashley Cole, a Michael Essien, a Ricardo Carvalho, a Drogba, a Duff, a Robin, a Michael Balak, whatever. Those players walked in and day one, they contributed heavily. Like Chelsea had a lot of flops under Abramovich, but they had about 50% success rate. Right now, it's a 0% success rate. Mm. There's some promising signs, like like Cole Palmer's been, like I say, decent at times, but he's had some stinkers. And as you said, penalties are his main source of goals. You're not going to get a penalty every game. You're certainly not going to get two every game. So is he going to score enough goals? Is Jackson well, going to score enough goals? Now that uh, Nkunku's back. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, Nkunku's back. Mudrick, for the first time at Chelsea, starting to look like a footballer. Sterling has to start because he's their best player. So there's no spot for Cole Palmer. And, like, you've got Cole Palmer and Noni Mudeki, who play the same position, have similar enough skill sets. So if Cole Palmer does work out, what does that mean for Noni? Does he then leave? Beyond that, you've got that Gabriel, who's a right winger as well. Yeah, and then they've got this this Kendry Paez kid coming in from Ecuador in a couple of years. Yeah. So, like, it's just a little bit, like, they didn't go and buy anybody proven. 
Like Caicedo, yeah, Premier League proven, but only 18 months of it. Like last season, they went Sterling, Koulibaly, Kukurea. You would have said they are proven. Aubameyang, proven, yeah. but clearly on the decline. Yeah. But like Fafana was a gamble. Chukwemeka was a gamble. Then the winter signings, they're pretty much all gambles. Badia Chile, unproven outside of France. Fafana, Santos are kids. Mudrik, unproven outside of Ukraine. Gusto was a kid. Enzo had only had six months in Europe, and they got very excited off the back of a World Cup, but there's there's no proven players there. The two proven ones, really, Mm. really proven for long periods. Sterling, Koulibaly. One hit, one flop. Sterling hasn't really hit because he was poor last season. Passable, yeah. But he's been passable, yeah. And then this season, like, who's the proven quantity? In Kunku, he, he hasn't played. Caicedo, it's 18 months, less than 18 months, really. Mm. Like a very small sample size on Moises. And as good as I think he is, you are looking at a guy that had 45 Premier League games under his belt when they paid that money for him. And the fit with him and Enzo, it doesn't seem ideal. It doesn't seem ideal at all. Yeah. They both need someone that bit more dynamic next to them. Like Alexis for Caicedo, because Alexis would play that bit higher up and leave Caicedo to play that deeper role, shield the defence and recycle the ball and be involved in the build-up in terms of his progressive passing. Enzo the best partner he's had in Europe was Florentino Luis, a dynamic ball winner who would roam around and destroy and leave Enzo to sit deep, recycle possession, be involved in the first play of, of the build-up, and then obviously be more expansive. Enzo was a great passer of the ball. Okay, said it was just a good passer of the ball. They both need Kante, <laughs> who they have. <laughs> they, yeah, they both need an N'Golo Kante type of player next to them. Or... A, a, just someone Okuchukwu. that isn't... Okuchukwu would yeah. work with both of them. Like someone big, rangy, box-to-box type. He would work with both of them. But it, it feels like with Chelsea, it was almost... There was an obsession with Caicedo. Oh, it's football they, manager on steroids, doesn't it? It is, basically, yeah. And, and like not enough people are calling out the likes of Paul Winstanley, who's one of the sporting directors there, who has basically been paying, playing football manager. But there's no plan here. Like, going by the best young player in each position is not a plan because all you end up then is a collection of individuals. You don't end up with a team. And when you're a team, when you're a club that needs to be in the Champions League and when you're spending money that mandates that you be in the Champions League, buying all these young, unproven players, that doesn't get you into the Champions League. And they didn't have a solid enough foundation to begin with. So you end up with this. Like, I think it's been massively overlooked what an incredible job Thomas Tuchel actually did there at that club. Because think back to before Tuchel and what they were doing. Like, they were very much on the decline under Frank Lampard. They were sitting in mid-table. Tuchel came in, got them top four and won a European Cup. Then the second jury finishes third. And then all of a sudden he sacked. (laughs) Like, bizarre. And neither of the managers they've brought in since are a patch on Thomas Tuchel. So, 
I expect at some point we'll see another manager at Chelsea. I, I think Pochettino made a mistake taking that job. I, I like Pochettino. I think he's a good manager. I just don't think he's suited to managing at the circus. And Chelsea is a circus. And this weekend, if they were to lose to Luton, it wouldn't surprise me if he got if he got shown the door. But I don't know who they go and get. Especially when he goes, can I have Ossiman next month, please? That's it. (laughs) That's it. But the answer to your problems can't always just be to spend more money. Yeah. Because then all you're doing is you're adding another complication to a squad that is still trying to work out what it is. And you've got a bunch of players there still trying to, you know, make a name for themselves. And one of the few players that has arrived and kind of settled quickly is Nicholas Jackson. Like he has mm. settled, he performs at a consistent level. The issue yeah, is, it's good, a bit of it's a bit of six at a ten level. But if you bring in Osman, what does that do to Jackson's confidence? And then he becomes useless to you. Then, so, he, then he becomes a lone player for Strasbourg. That's what yeah, he becomes. A hundred percent, he does. A hundred percent. That's what he ends up as. So I don't know. I, I feel like with Chelsea, there's so much talent in that squad. I just I don't think Pochettino is the guy to build it out and to develop it. And the issue always is going to be, you've got Todd Bowley running around like a child at Christmas, bouncing mm. from one thing to another with seemingly no ability to focus and have patience. So if he had patience, Thomas Tuchel would still be Chelsea manager. You know, simple as that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, tough weekend ahead for them, I think. Luton, Luton at home. They play their football and they do their thing, and you know, you have to deal with them, and they are tough to deal with. We saw it with Newcastle, absolutely, absolutely. Let's go through some of these three o'clock kickoffs quickly because the weather's not the most interesting games, anyway. To be fair, uh, we have Villa hosting Burnley, Dave, Battle of Claret and Blue, and all that jazz. Yeah, the uh, the Aaron Ramsey derby, Jacob versus Aaron. Hopefully, we'll get to see the pair of them play. Villa obviously outstanding at home. Uh, five wins and a draw from their last six. Now that draw was a poor result against Sheffield United. Um, Burnley, one win, one draw, and four defeats from their last six away. Now, going into the weekend, Villa, no Buendia, no Mings, no Luca Dina, no Robin Olsen, no Yuri Tielemans. Bubakar Kamara serving the third game of his suspension. Matty Cash is ruled out through yellow cards, I believe. And Bertrand Traore is still out. Burnley don't have too many issues, but Kolyosha was obviously a loss because he's, he's such a talented player. And Jack Cork is still about a week away. Um, there's no reason to complicate this. Villa are at home. Villa have been outstanding at home this season. We'll go with Villa to win 3-1. Yeah, probably agree with that. Uh this isn't, a, this isn't a fun one. Crystal Palace hosting Brentford, Dave. I mean, depressive is the wrong, maybe for Crystal Palace. But Brentford, just such a horrid situation with the injuries and suspensions. Obviously, Tony, but that's obviously self-inflicted on his part. But it must be one of the most depressive fixtures possible. It's not, not two teams many I'd look forward to watching. No, no, nobody's going to be excited about this game. Uh, Brentford, no Henry, no Mbomo, no Hickey. Mbomo is going to be out for about three months now. Like, that's an enormous blow. He was going to go to AFCON, now he's not. Um, But he's out until about March. Um, 
no Hickey, no me. Tony still suspended for another couple of games. Kevin Shade still out. Ayer still out. And Onyeka will be back, but I mean, he doesn't really help them a whole lot. Josh De Silva still out. So, I mean, that's not ideal at all. Um, their form away from home, they're 16th in the form table for away games over the last six. One win, one draw, four defeats. Luckily for them, they're going to play Crystal Palace, who have the worst home form in the league over the last six games, two draws and four defeats. Um, so much for them being spoiled as their manager, so politely put it. Palace head into this game with no check to Kure, obviously torn Achilles, no Raksaki, no Joel Ward, no Sam Johnston, no Rob Holding, and a doubt over Ed- Odson Edward. This game reeks of a draw, and I'm just going to go with the draw. Um, I'll go 1 1. We'll back each team to score a scruffy goal. Good job on those set piece goals, lads. Um, <laughs> uh, next, we have Man City hosting Sheffield United. Dave, uh, it's just Man City come back. Bit of a controversial win over Everton with the penalty. Um, mm. But uh, they should beat Sheffield United. They should beat Sheffield United. Sheffield United, no Basham, no Egan, no Davies, no Jebison, no Hammer, no Ahmed Hodzic. Losing both of them is massive because it's two of their best players. Uh, can't play James McAtee because he's owned by Man City. But they do get Jaden Bogle back. City, no Stones. Uh, looks like he could be out for a while. Uh, no Haaland. He remains out for a while. KDB is about a week away, they think, from coming back, which is enormous. Um, but not ready to play yet. Doku, not ready to play yet. Uh, Ruben Diaz should be fine to play. City, I mean, they, they've barely tried so far this season. And yet they're still fourth. And if they win the game in hand, they're second. Um, their home form has been quite mixed. Three wins, three draws. That's something you'd expect to see an upturn in moving forward. Luckily for them, Sheffield United's away form has been dreadful. Two draws and four defeats in their last six. No reason to get too deeply into this. Manchester City to win 3-0. Yeah. I don't know which game I'll watch out of them at three o'clock. It's definitely not going to be Crystal Palace Brighton. Let me tell you that. <laughs> it, might, it might have to be this next one just for by default. Uh, Wolves hosting Everton, Dave. Um, this is the best game of the, of the yeah. four by a considerable margin. I mean, you're looking at an Everton team who, if they hadn't been caught cheating, would currently be sitting 10th on 26 points, and then Wolves on 25 points would be a point behind them. Um. Everton have no Adrissagana Gay, a doubt over Ashley Young, and a doubt over Abdullah Dukure. Wolves, no Johnny Otto, no Craig Dawson. Oh, Craig Dawson should be okay. Bubakar Traore should be okay. And they're hopeful that Huang will be okay. So that's massive for them to only really be without one player. Um, and it's not a player who's in their kind of best 11 or starting 11. So I think they can be quite confident going forward with, with what they have. Um, it's a shame Huang has to go at the Asian Games because he has been... He's been so Neto good. Yeah. yeah, he's been so good. But Neto was on the bench for yeah. the Brentford game. So they do now have him back, which I think is massive. Um, there's, a, there's something odd going on with Sasa Kalizic, who's not injured, but not getting any game time. 
Because um, he used to be, he was a super, super sub, wasn't he? He was. And, and, and if you think of it, at the start of the season, they were playing Fabio Silva, and now he's just mm. been sent on loan to Rangers. Poor old bugger. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they maybe look to bring in an attacker in January. Um, Form-wise, Wolves are at home. Wolves have been excellent at home against good teams, but the home form has been mixed overall. Uh, three wins, three draws from their last six. So they're very hard to beat there, but they tend to play better against your Liverpools, your Cities, and your Chelsea's, like the big clubs, rather than the others. Everton's away form has been excellent. Four wins and two draws from their last six. So, I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to say a draw seems like the likely outcome here. You just wonder, will Everton's confidence have taken a bit of a knock? with the the way they lost to City, having gone ahead. And obviously that's back-to-back defeats in games where they put in really good performances because they were really good second half against Spurs. Um, but if they play as well as they did in both of those games, I do think they, they can win. But I'm going to go the draw. I'll go 1-1. Yeah, yeah. It's an intriguing game. It's, in, it's always interesting seeing Neto, Huang and... I like who knew as well. Mm, yeah, uh, and Everton. Who knows? <laughs> See that the kind of pace and movement of Cunha, Huang, and Neto that will trouble Everton's defensive line because Tarkovsky's very good, but he's slow. Mm. I think I really like Branthwaite, but if he has to cover a lot for Tarkovsky, that will leave openings somewhere else. I wonder um, if you'll play the back three again. I know it's mainly because of injuries, but, but it means um, Michael Keane, and he's really slow. But so if, if Brantwaite's back, he could play Tarkovsky, Godfrey, and... Brantwaite. That would be quite a good back three, to be fair. Mm. He could go... Yeah, Tarkovsky would would have to be in the middle. Don't think he mm. could play him right side of a three. Well, he played left last time, didn't he? It he did, weird. yeah. No, it, it looked weird. Um, I think if I was Dyche, I might consider that back three. Because Godfrey was really good in that game. Like, really good. Mm. Made made a great um, a great intervention to stop a certain goal. I, I think he'll probably just go back four though because oh, he's he, got, he won't he won't change. <laughs> he's Sean Dyche after all. Yeah, there's a great clip going around of Sean Dyche from his playing days getting sent off. I don't know if you, I, I, I quote tweeted the other day, but it's an absolute horrendous first touch. Ball bounces off him. He goes herring into a challenge. Goes in about knee height, clatters. <laughs> Gets up and acts like that's a perfectly fine tackle. I won the ball and is outraged when he's sent off. And now, just think of it. That was in the 90s. Imagine how bad the challenge had to be to get a straight red back then. And Dyche was still outraged by the fact that he was Thing sent of off. Thing of beauty. Uh, it's everything I love about Sean Dyche. I'll go the draw. I'll go 1-1. One, one. Yeah, next up we have the interesting game, Forest toasting United. Uh, obviously, United got the massive comeback win over uh, Villa in the midweek and Forrest they've unleashed Chris Wood onto the world <laughs> yeah Chris Wood hat-trick against Newcastle Um, it was very strange and they're all good goals as well it was very yeah. un-Chris Wood but they were all good goals and to Forrest's credit they played quite well now Forest last season stayed up on the strength of their home form. In their last six home games, they've only got one win and one draw, and they've lost Ooh. four in a row. So that's not ideal. 
Now, United's away form is pretty decent. Three wins, a draw, and two defeats in the last six. Not been playing the best competition in the world, but Forrest aren't exactly the best either. Uh, Forrest this weekend, no Teo Wani, no Felipe, no Sanger, no Serge Aurier, but Willie Bolly, uh, I think, is back for this one. So that's at least something of a boost. Though I thought they looked much better defensively um, against Toon without Bolly. Yeah, but it was too left footed. So, so not, which not in my not in my house. See, you were sitting there fuming. Yeah, uh, but Niakata and Murillo do look good. I I really want to see Nuno go to a back three with Murillo, Niakata, and Omabamadeli either side of him. Mm. I think that works, and then the you know the fullbacks can work as wing backs. The midfield will be fine, and I mean Alanga's looking looking good. I thought Callum Hudson Odoi played pretty well against Newcastle as well. Given his recent form, I thought it was a a good step forward. Um, United obviously have a lot of issues at the moment. Luke Shaw is a major doubt. Amrabat is a major doubt. Malashia is out. Martinez is out. Mason Mount is still out. Lindelof is out. Casemiro is out. Uh, Ahmed Traore is out. Or Ahmed Diallo. Uh, Harry Maguire is out. Anthony Martial is a doubt. The man has been sick for about a month. And Jaden Sancho obviously is 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 suspended internally for upsetting the manager in mm-hmm. September, and here we sit at the end of December, and it still hasn't been resolved. So that is clearly a relationship that's coming to an end in January. Do you think there's any chance he leaves Man United while sitting doing nothing, getting three hundred and fifty grand a week <laughs> in January? There's not, not a chance. Sure. The only thing, if it wasn't for the fact that there's a Euros next summer. I would say, no, he'll stay and he'll just ride it out because chances are Ten Hag is either gone before the end of the season or at the end of the season because it's just not working. But he's got the Euros and I think he'll want to play in the Euros. So I think he might take a loan. Raheem Sterling isn't even getting picked for England at the minute. I feel like that would be more... Yeah, but how is Raheem not getting in the squad? They must have fallen out with something very weird, isn't it? It has to have been. He has to, either he fell out with Southgate or he fell out with another senior player mm. who's who's kind of closer to Southgate, either Kane or Henderson or Slabhead or somebody, one of the, the untouchables. Um, it's a very, very strange situation. Raheem Sterling, after Harry Kane, is England's best attacker. Now, yeah, if you consider include, it in the form of Rashford's, does yeah, like absolutely. I mean, Rashford's been dreadful, absolutely dreadful this season. If you want to include Jude Bellingham as an attacker, I'll happily take him over Sterling. But he is—he's no—he's a more attacking midfield type. Mm. But like, who else would you look at? I mean, Grealish has been poor. Um, Madison's injured. Barnes Saka's Saka an obvious minutes. name, but he's not been. I don't think he's been better than Sterling. Not no, this season. About like I think Raheem is carrying a massive load at at Chelsea with little help, and I still think he's outperforming Bukayo Saka. I think the results can count against him, but I mean he he matches Saka for goals this season with far less help, and obviously, I mean people do judge too much on results. So if a team, if one team wins and another team loses, there's a bit of a well, the players for the good to, for the team that won were obviously good, and the players that who lost were bad. But Raheem has been much better than a tenth place team 
And I don't think Saka has been particularly good this season based on, now look, that's relatively speaking. I'm talking about a player that we expect to be one of the five or six best in the league. He hasn't mm-hmm. been anywhere close to that. I don't think he's been a top 20 player in the league this year. And I think Raheem probably borderline has been. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Um, what do you, I can't remember, if, if you did prediction, what do you reckon prediction-wise, if you did say, I can't remember? Um, I mean, Pal- a Forest rather will be hoping to ride the new manager bounce. That's That's got to be the aim here, the new manager bounce. Good result at Newcastle, confidence boosting. United are not particularly good, but United are getting results. And I think United will get a result here. I'll go 2-1 to United. Good job on those two goals, Scott McTominay. Um, yeah, Scott McTominay, or one from McTominay and Johnny Evans from a set piece or something. Oh, absolutely. That hit, that takes a deflection. Absolutely. Um, mind Highland scored. He might go on a streak now. Who knows? Do you know uh, what? Do you know what? I was mm. really happy to see the lad score a goal because mm. he is a young player. If he was 27, 28, I wouldn't worry about it. But he's a young player who's just made a massive move for enormous money. Too much and money. it's far too much, far too much money. I mean, the guy's completely unproven. But you don't want to see, like, regardless of who they play for, you don't want to see big talents wither and drop off. You want to see them thrive. Same with Garnacho. Like, I really want to see Garnacho do well because I think for the good of football, Garnacho can be a big player down the line. Same with Yeah, Hoyzen. I just hope he moves away from United. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, if United are going to be anything in the next five years, those two need to be foundational pieces. So I think the Villa game will be great for both of them. But you could see the relief in Hoysland getting that goal. And hopefully, hopefully he does, you know, knock in a few more and, you know, keep United there solidly in sixth or seventh as the season runs along. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Get back on those Thursday night ones. Um, anyway, moving on to Sunday, we have the televised game, uh, Fulham against Arsenal. Dave, um, Arsenal obviously want to bounce, bounce back from the West Ham game, whereas Fulham kind of gone back to what they were before being, well, after being the most entertaining team in the world or history of football for four games, five games. Um, I mean, Fulham did take points of Arsenal earlier in the league, but it, it's a weird one. Yeah, it is a weird one. Like Arsenal, their, their home form, or sorry, their away form is literally a mixed bag. It's two wins, two draws and two defeats from the last six. Scored eight, conceded eight. That's not title winning away form. Fulham's home form has been pretty good. They're fifth in the home form uh, league form over the last six games with four wins and two draw, uh, two defeats. The issue for them is that the two defeats were to Burnley, who, I mean, Fulham should be beating Burnley. Mm. And the other one, who was the other one to? I've lost who the who the other one was to. Who was that other defeat to? Tom, I don't think it, it's irrelevant really, but the losing at home to Burnley is not good, not good, and that come, came off the back of a couple of heavy defeats before that 
their last home defeat before that was United. Was it United? Let's have a look. Oh, they've lost United. a lot. They've lost a lot of away games in that time. Yeah, they have. That's what it is. They've lost. Yeah, it was it was Burnley and then United after three good wins, but uh, maybe. I mean, I, I just I I expect Arsenal to bounce back. I really do. I just think Arsenal are better. They're a better team with better players now. No Fabio Vieira, no Tommy Asu, no Partey. Kai Havertz, I think, is suspended. Or is he back? He think he's back. I think he's. Was it yellow cards? He'll be back. I presume. Yeah, and Julian Timber is is still injured. Uh, for Fulham, no Adama Traore, no Tim Ream. Uh, Willian is a doubt, but Jimenez, I think, is back. I'm almost certain he's back. I think he got a one game ban for that. Man, <laughs> for assaulting someone. <laughs> It must literally be literally a hip check. Um, who's that not dangerous player? A serious foul player, whatever the hell you term they use. Maybe he is still out. Maybe he is. Now, I'm just looking at Premier injuries and it's saying he's available on the 31st, which is obviously this game. So must maybe be. he is back. But if not, yeah, that's weird. Carlos Vinicius and Rodrigo Meniz, I mean, they're decent players. They're not going to worry Arsenal too much. I think Arsenal will win this game comfortably. I'll go. Well, I. I I say comfortably, they don't score a lot of goals. I mean, 36 and I think 17 mm. of them have been set pieces, either penalties or directly from free kicks and corners. It feels That's like not, if they don't score early, it just it's an absolute slog. It's a slog for them, yeah. And mm. it feels like if you score against them, you've got a great chance of a draw because they're just struggling to even get that second goal. You know, like the Brighton game, they absolutely dominated after scoring and then almost gave up a goal at the other end. You know, because they just can't find that second goal. Um, I'll go 2-0, though. I'll go 2-0. Like, I, I just feel like Fulham are desperately in need of some reinforcements. I think they're just really hoping to get to January and then they can start to reassess things and look to bring a few players in. Because three straight defeats in the league, it's just not going to help their confidence. Um, mm, six point gap to Luton. Do you know what? He's already served his three games. Um, Jimenez. it's been three games since then. He got sent off against Newcastle, he Jesus. missed Everton in the cup, Burnley, um, and Bournemouth. So he has he's done three games, so he is back, right? He, he, he'll be up for this one because if I'm not mistaken, it was against Arsenal that he got his head injury. It was David Louise, wasn't it? It was David Louise, it was at Molyneux, and I would imagine it'll and he's played well against them before. He's also been sent off against Arsenal before. But I think he'll I think he'll get himself up for this game and he might cause them a couple of problems because he's really good in the air and William Saliba is not. So if Fulham can get some crosses in, I think he can have some some joy against William Saliba in, in the middle of the box. But I'll still go for the 2-0 Arsenal win. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Uh next up probably uh, don't know why this isn't on TV, to be fair. Spurs hosting Bournemouth, Dave. I mean, did you see the news that um, Hamed Traore had malaria? I didn't, but that would explain why he's barely yeah. kicked the ball this season. So it's, I think it's just been like listed as illness, but he has, seemingly yeah. got malaria on the uh, last international break. So I was wondering where he was. I was like, has he fallen out with the manager or something? Because yeah, he's a really good player. Hmm. Um, oh, I see it here, yeah. And he's not expected back till the middle of February. 
Um, right now, he's recovering much better. The past few weeks have been a tough situation for him personally. And from a sporting perspective, he will be out for some time. Yeah, I mean, when they get him back, that's going to be a big boost. They've obviously got Tyler Adams to come back as well in February, so that's a big boost. Um, for this one, they're both out. Kirkez is out. Lewis Cook is out. Darren Randolph is out. Lloyd Kelly is out. Ryan Fredericks and Emmy Marcondes are both out. But they got Alex Scott back ahead of schedule, and I yeah. don't know if you saw his assist for the Clivert goal against mm-hmm. Fulham. But that kid is really, really talented, and he, he looks he, he plays a little bit like Thiago, and I'm very hopeful that he can stay fit now and show what he's capable of. Um, none, of none of this Guernsey Grealish, Guernsey Alcantara. Guernsey Alcantara is exactly what he is. What we go for now. Away form, Bournemouth are third in the league over the last six, and they've won their last four league games in a row away from home. So that's really promising. Spurs, their home form has not been good. Three wins, three defeats in the last six, but they have won back-to-back games. The issue for Spurs is they've got injuries that are absolutely ravaging them. No Perisic, no Romero, no Bentoncourt, no Van de Ven, no Madison, no Sessegnon, no Basuma, no Solomon, and Ollie Skip should be okay. But no Basuma... No Madison, no Van de Ven, and no Romero. There's four of your most important players. Son and Sar go the game after as well. Yeah. Do you know? Like Son, yeah, that's it. And, and I think Basuma might be going to I half presume Mali well. got through, yeah. I assume they'll pick him. Maybe not. He's not always in the squad for whatever reason. But, but with Czech to Kure injured, I would imagine Mali are a bit short in terms of midfield numbers. Don't they just have like a million good midfielders? They do. So if you look at the Mali squad, the last squad, uh, 8th of September, Amadou Amadou Hydera of Leipzig is a good player. Um, Yves Basuma was in that squad. Mohamed Kamara of Monaco. Czech de Kure. Lasana Koulibaly, he's a good player. Uh, Kamari Diombia is one to keep an eye on. He's a, an attacking midfielder um, owned by Reims on loan at Brest. Really, really good, really promising. That's a hell of a group of midfielders, and that doesn't include Samiseku of Hoffenheim, who's really good. Um, they're pretty loaded in midfield, but I would guess Basuma does go. So that's Basuma, Sar, and Son. All going. And Romero's been ruled out seemingly till the end of January. Van de Ven and Madison, they're hoping to get back in mid-January. They need to be active January 1st. They need players coming in the door. Mm. Because their defence is an absolute train wreck at the moment with Emerson Real, who's a fullback, and Ben Davies, who is a fullback, who became a centre-back and not a particularly good one in the back four. Fine in a three, but not in a four. That's a mess. And then you put Hoiberg in front of them. Good player, but quite slow. Not suited to as well. Not suited to playing Postacoglu football. So this is going to be a tough game for Spurs. <clears throat> yeah. um, Bournemouth are in really good form. Go to Fulham, swap die for Adebayo. Well, I can't say his name. Tosin. Yeah. yeah. Easy done. Easy. Easy move. 
he's one they should look at. I, th- I think they should look at someone like a Tadebo, like a high end one as well. And I think they need one in midfield. Um, yeah, I'm I'm actually going to go a draw here. I think Bournemouth will cause them significant issues. Bournemouth are playing really well. Solanke's probably the best striker in the country at the minute, which is a weird sentence to say. Yeah, Haaland, the, Haaland's injured and nobody else. But Haaland's out, and who else do you look at? Yeah. Like the the um, Premier League top scorers list: Haaland fourteen, Salah twelve, Solanke twelve. Like he's playing really, really well. I didn't see this when he was at Liverpool. No, neither did I. But I mean, look, nobody could see this coming because look at what he did before this. Played at Vietas Arnhem, scored seven goals in 27 games. Played for Liverpool, scored one goal in 27 games. Went to Bournemouth and in his first 46 games in the Premier League, he scored four goals. Then he dropped into the Championship. He had a good season in the Championship. Then he had a really good season in the Championship. But last season, he scored seven goals in 35. This season, he's got 13 and 19 in all competitions and 12 in 18 in the Premier League. He has scored more goals in his 18 Premier League games this season than he did in his season at Liverpool, his season and a half at Bournemouth the last time they were up, and last season combined. He had 10 in those seasons. That is... Do you think the drug was that? He's outscored um, all but three or four of Something like that, yeah. Let's actually get that up because that that is interesting. Because Drogba was always, I mean, Drogba, look, Drogba was a great player, but he is overrated historically. Uh, Drogba at Chelsea, um, 10, 12. So Solanke will beat that because he's got that already. So actually, his next goal will mean there's only two Didier Drogba seasons at Chelsea where he scored more goals than this one for Solanke. He got a 20-goal season and then a 29-goal season. But in between them, he got eight and five. And I'm sure all of them were against Arsenal and Liverpool. Oh, <laughs> almost certainly. Now, he did score a lot of goals, obviously, in Europe for them. He's a far better yeah. track record in Europe than he did in the Premier League. And he was obviously a big game player in cup finals and such, and he did well in the cups. But yeah, in the league, he wasn't a big-time scorer at all. 100 goals in 226 games. Um, for a number nine is is just not great. Like you consider, Mohamed Salah is a winger. He's played two hundred and seventy nine games. Sorry, two hundred and thirty seven games. Liverpool, so eleven more than Drogba, but he scored one hundred and forty nine league goals. And he's a winger. So you know the the Drogba stuff is is interesting. He obviously was vital for Chelsea for a long time, but he was far better in Europe than he was in. In league league action, um, Europe never had a defender like Ryan Shaw across to defend. That's it. That's it. They were <laughs> they weren't used to the physical. Like Peter Crouch used to do well in Europe. Do you know? Yeah. Solanke is playing really well. I just I'd want to see it the rest of this season, and I still don't think I'd pull the trigger on a move for him. Because I I want to see it again next oh, year. Oh no, I think perfect place for him, really. Yeah, that's the thing. He's, he's got a the main team. Guy he's got a good manager who who's built round him. And you've got a lot of a lot of players that million play, wingers. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like play to him 
Brooks, Oatara, Sinistera, Clivert, Semenyo, they all play to Solanke. As opposed to last season when they were all playing off him, that's a good change the managers made. Now you add Scott into midfield, that's more creativity. You've got Hamid Traore to come back. He's got creativity and goals. They're a really fun team. And I don't think they're all that far away from having a really good team. I think you look at... I'd like an upgrade on the goalkeeper. I'm not a big Neto fan. Um, Kirkes is outstanding. Zabarni's outstanding. I'd want a right back. No, actually, so they got Max Ahrens. So Max Ahrens at right back. I'd want one more centre back. I think Sinisi's fine, but I think, well, I think Kelly's up. contract's up, isn't it? So maybe if they sell Kelly in January, they can they, they'll look make to a move or something. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the play. Then in midfield, you've got Adams and Scott and Cook and Rothwell and Christie and Billing. That's a really good group. Then you've got, um, in the attacking midfield realm, you've got Traore, you've got Brooks, you've got Oatara, Sinistera. He's on loan, but I think they'll end up keeping him. He's starting to play well, Clivert and Semenyo. Like, give them one centre-back and maybe a decent backup number nine. They're hard to find, though. But one centre-back and um, a new goalkeeper, I think they're going to be really good. They got... uh... A deal fell through last minute for uh, Daka, oh, didn't it? For Pats and Daka, yeah. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if they revisited that. How is Pats and Daka getting on this season? Uh, may not have played that much because I'm sure Inacho and Vardy is the main people. He's played five games. Yeah. He scored four goals, though, all in the league. That's if they got Pats and Daka. Not bad having a 30 mil. Striker as your first choice in the championship championship at all. (laughs) But if they got Pats and Daka in, and then a good centre back and a good goalkeeper, not world class, just good, good and promising. Like they could be a real, a real problem for teams. I've got Andre Lunin on my FM for them. Just saying. Oh, that's a good shout. Just saying. (laughs) That's a really good shout because Ukrainian friends. Ukrainian, they've got they've got Sabani there, so it would make sense to go and get someone that would be able to you know communicate with him quite quite quickly and quite easily. Mind, what's their sister team? Is it Lorient? No, Laurent, Yeah, who do Is they have? Who do they have? There might be somebody there that they could look to bring over Laurent. Uh, let's go there. Any Zabani? Let's look at the Ukrainian national team and see if we can find anyone else. Um, Zinchenko might be up for sale. <laughs> it's not too yeah, long. Very, very, very well, <laughs> um, there's no centre back that's jumping out at me. Dennis Popov is decent. He's decent. I don't know. I don't know about him in the Premier League. It's, it's, it's not a vintage, a vintage no. era of the Ukrainian. Just, just watch Shevchenko up front to be fair. Uh, FC Laurent, who have you got that might be of interest? You know, this is not a great squad at all. Um, there's a couple of players you definitely wouldn't want, such as um, Timu Bakayoko. Oh, yes. Definitely wouldn't want him. What a career. Um, you definitely don't want Benjamin Mendy. Moyakolo, maybe the young centre back. I don't know how much he's played there, but he's he's quite highly rated. Montezar Talbi. 
Montsatabi's quite good. The Tunisian you've, you've, made up a, you've made up a name. Not right? at all. No, he's Tunisian. They bought him from Ruben Kazan. Um, he is quite good. He might fit well at Bournemouth. If they wanted to look in the championship, Jacob Greaves, maybe at Hull, could be interesting for them. Or there might be someone sitting on a bench at another Premier League club that might be of interest. But they get a centre-back and a goalkeeper. And Pats and Daka, as an example. I think they'd be a really good team. They're not going to win anything, but I mean, they could be top half. Certainly think they could be top half. At the moment, they're only goal difference out of the top half and they've got a game in hand. So this is a really good manager doing a really good job. I think they'll get I think they'll get something from that game at the weekend. I'm gonna go two two. Yeah. Yeah I might actually stream that rather than watch the Arsenal game. Uh anyway, on to Monday, uh we have Liverpool against Newcastle Dave. Um, you, well, historically and usually quite an entertaining game. Mm. But New, uh, Newcastle, a million injuries, as we say, all the time. And the fatigue has them very deep at the minute. <laughs> uh, whereas Liverpool, just gone top of the league. Again, we, again, say it every week, you say it on all the AI shows as well. Not playing well, but we are no. top of the league somehow. <laughs> That's the thing. We're not playing well and we're still top of the league. Uh, no Matip, no Bacetic, no Robertson, no Alcantara, no Simicus. Uh, McAllister remains to be seen. But for Toon, no Tonali, no Pope, no Murphy, no Burns, no Lachelles, no Willock, no Anderson, no Mankio, and no Matt Target. That's a lot of players, but not a whole lot of them are starters. Obviously, Pope, Tonali, and Burns. The problem is the Pope is so vital for them, and the, yeah, the drop-off to... Yeah. Dubravka is not not particularly good. Mm. Liverpool's home form won four and drawn two of the last six. Um, Newcastle's away form is dreadful. They haven't won any of their last six. Two draws and four wins. I, I just feel like Liverpool should win this game. Newcastle have been really, really poor in the last couple and they don't travel well at the moment. They're dealing with injuries. Their players look exhausted. Trippier is gifting goals left, right and centre. I'm going to go 2-0 Liverpool. Yeah, if you want a more in-depth, go listen to yeah. last we, we, third of AI Scouting. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a bit on Crystal Palace, listen to the middle third. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's how it should be. Um, yeah, go and listen to uh, the preview on AI Scouted on Anfield Index. Myself and Carol Matchett um, talked about this game, but talked about a bunch of other stuff as well. It's it's a good one. Um, yeah. One last game. So, 2-0, um, yeah. Yeah. 2-0. Uh, on a Tuesday, then. Uh, weird having a Tuesday game. New Year should never be on a normal weekend. Um, anyway, uh, West Ham hosting Brighton, Dave. I mean, two fun teams. West Ham, Paquetta, we're not sure how serious the injury mm. is, but key player, and if it is long-term, obviously Kudus and... Uh, ben Rama. Ben Rama and Agard will all go Ooh. to um to Afcon. Yeah, so Paqueta, he's he's out. Um Antonio's still out. Agard is out. Well, he's a doubt. Zuma is a doubt, and Kudus is a doubt. And obviously Kudus goes to Afcon, like you said, straight after. So I wonder if he's even a doubt, will they risk him? Because if he gets injured and misses Afcon, it might he might have the home. 
considering he's got a buyout as well, they need to be kind of careful with him because they'll want to renegotiate his contract and get that buyout out of there. Um, Brighton, on the other hand, no Ansu Fati, no Enciso, no Veltman, no Matoma, no Adingra, no Webster, no Lamptey, and no Solly March. It's a lot of injuries. Now, they mm. did get Jakob Motor back, which is big, and they did get a Stupinen back, which is big. They're away form. Let's check it. They are the away team here. Um, their away form has been pretty poor. One, draw, one win, two draws, and three defeats in their last six. That's not great. West Ham's home form. Three wins, two draws, and one defeat. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, no Paquette and potentially no Kudus. That's tough. Fornals. Fornals and Ben Rama and move Bowen? I don't, think Rama. Like, I don't think he wants to play Danny Ings. Mm. I think Bowen has to stay through the middle. Move, bring in Ben Rama. Bring in Fornals. Yeah, probably play Ben Rama right side Fornals, left side Ward Prowse in the 10. Two boys behind Bowen up front, maybe look to be a bit more, a bit more direct. Even though Res- Bowen's resolute, a bit more <laughs> resolute. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to go for the the West Ham win. Mm. I think they're riding a bit of a high at the moment. They've just beaten United and Arsenal in back to back games. They've got three wins in a row, four out of mm. five. Moisandage counter a Deserby ball. You see, like, that's the thing. Or... Now, if, if Antonio was playing, I'd be back in West Ham to win comfortably because he is just that type of striker that hurts Brighton. But he's not. But Bowen's pace in behind, I think, will cause mm. him serious trouble. Well, I'll go 3-1 to Brighton. Uh, 3-1 to West Ham. Just before we thought, what did you make of um, Deserby's comments on Joe Pedro about struggling to keep hold of him next season because and I know you've been a fan of him since he moved to mm. Watford but like I think he'd fit at other clubs Liverpool obviously have a strikers but I doubt we'd sign him but I could see him at like well uh, any Brighton player could go to Chelsea could go to Chelsea but you get where I'm going yeah like uh, the thing with him is he's he's kind of he's not a nine he's not a ten he's in between and he can play with any type of partner at Liverpool, I think he'd be really good if you put him in the middle with Salah and Nunes either side because I think he would enable them to score a lot more goals. At Arsenal, I kind of feel like he'd have some of the same problems as Gabriel Jesus, mm. where I don't think he's going to be like a 20-25 goal striker, which is what they need. The the one I really like, and I've, I've suggested Ivan Tony for this club, but I think at Villa with Watkins... I think he'd do Ooh, really yeah. well with Watkins and Diaby. There's like there's enough goals, I think, between those two. And he'll get his goals, but I think I think he'd fit really well there. I think he'd be perfect for, for Spurs because Son is going to be your primary goal scorer. If you've got Son, you've got Madison, you've got Kulaseski, that's a really good three to play behind him. Um he'd be a great fit at West Ham if they wanted to go Bowen right side, Kudu's left side and play Paqueta as the 10. Quite like that one, actually. I don't know if that's a big enough move for him, but I do quite like that one. And I think he'd fit well at United. Him and Hoyslet 
as a two with Rashford off one side and maybe Garnacho off the other and go four four two. That could be interesting. Newcastle don't need him. I think there'd be a bit too much overlap with him and Isak. Yeah, they were linked, weren't they? Before they got um, And Chelsea, if you go Sterling and Kunku and find a goal scoring left winger and you play Joe Pedro as the nine, I think that works really well. But I don't know who that goal scored. You'd have to go, you'd probably have to go big and look for someone like Rafael Leao. Like if you could get Leao and Joe Pedro, that's a terrifying front four. But it is 150 million or something to get the pair of them, probably more. Brighton knew what they were doing when they signed him. The thing for Brighton is they sell him in the summer, say. They paid 30. Let's say they get 75. They've already got Evan Ferguson to come mm-hmm. in. They've got Julio and CISO to come back from injury. So they're already set up to replace him. But he's such a good player. He really is such a good player. And I've been hugely impressed. Every time I watch the guy play, I'm hugely impressed. Um, He has pretty much everything you'd want in the modern-day striker. And I do think that the goals will come from... Like I do think he'll score goals. I think he's got 13 already this season. Now, a lot of them are penalties. But still, 13 goals in 26 games? I mean, that's a really impressive return. 7-19 and 19 in the Premier League, which, bear in mind, he'd only played uh, a season and a little bit in the Premier League before this. But this is already the best goal-scoring season of his career uh, in all competitions, and I think I think they've got a gem on their hands. But I think if he's smart, he's only 22, I think he'll look at some of the others that left bright, such as Caicedo, and I think he'll he'll hold off and maybe wait another year. And look, if he looks at that that squad that he plays in, in 12 months' time, you'd be expecting significant growth and development from Enciso, from Ferguson, from Beliba, from Adingra, from Fatty if he stays there, which apparently he's kind of warming to the idea of staying there, and from Buenanote. Like, you're not going to find, and you've got Matoma, and you've got Solly March, and you've got Pascal Grouse. You're not going to find many, many better supporting casts and complementary players for a player like him than what Brighton already have around him. So I think if he if he's well advised, I think he'll stick it out there. Like, let's not forget, you were sitting in the championship and they made the move to get you and they paid big money to bring you in. Before the season was even over, they jumped at that. So maybe a little bit of loyalty might be required as well. But I think I think he's an excellent player. And he's what, is he 22? 22. He's, and he's a young 22. He was 22 in September. So he's got years and years ahead of him. So there's no, re- no reason to, to rush it. He can just take his time and develop his career. Really, really good player. Really, really good player. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, and that was the last game? It was. Uh, right. I I think I'm going to do something tomorrow. So there should be, hopefully, fingers crossed, there'll be a pod tomorrow. Then there'll be nothing Sunday, obviously. There won't be one Monday, and then we'll be back Tuesday, and we'll be back to normal. Um, but I think I'm going to do one tomorrow. 
or I might do it tomorrow and release it on Monday, which might be, make more sense, I think, to release. Yeah, that's probably what I'll do is record it tomorrow and release it on Monday. Um, but yeah, have a good weekend. Enjoy your New Year's celebrations and thank you as always. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.